Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. Thanks so much for showing up, for tuning in, for supporting us. This episode, we bring you Dina Nina Martinez. And I was so excited to interview her. I think it's so cool that even during these crazy, weird times that we can connect with folks. Dina's currently in Madison, Wisconsin. We're able to use this wonderful internet thing and have a very intimate, awesome, cool conversation with an awesome, wonderful human being. And we're really excited to bring that to you. Uh, Before we do, I guess we wanted to talk about the big gay news of the week. Uh, Niecy Nash from Reno 911, Claws, Love Em All, uh, recently came out and got married all in one fell swoop, as they would say in every English paper ever. When you look at the thesaurus for moreover or furthermore, uh, that's always one of the suggestions and people don't know what a fell swoop is, but they'll sure put it in their paper. I just thought it was funny because like a ton of my friends reached out to me and they wanted to know why I didn't tell them. Like, I, like they really do believe in this magical gaydar that they think we have. And I thought it was hilarious. Like, I was keeping this big old secret from them, and it finally came out. And they're just like, oh, so you didn't tell me? <laughs> anyway, it was something new for the week. You know, we got to take what we can and share what we can. Uh, hope everyone is taking care of themselves and staying healthy and staying safe. And we thank you so much for tuning in. So let's get to it. Let's get to... Dina Nina Martinez. Oh, and I did want to mention one thing before we start the episode. We recorded it. It was kind of this cool moment. There was a thunderstorm happening in New Orleans, and I tried to wait for the thunderstorm to go away so we could record and get a good sound, and it did go away, and then it came back. So we kind of, there's a couple moments where you'll hear a little thunder in the background. Dina Nina loved it. She thought it was spooky and awesome and magical, and so we just went with it. Yeah. Here's myself and Dina Nina Martinez in the middle of a thunderstorm. Sorry for this thunders. Do you still hear it? Yeah, I do. I think it's kind of cool. Okay, good. We'll have a, a New Orleans witchy vibe to the episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I mean, this is what the world is anyway, right? It's just like... Uh, despair and rainstorm and thunder and lightning and we don't know if it's ever gonna stop and we don't we're scared to walk outside because of it so i mean that's so true (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for for doing the podcast and i still i keep asking people this because i'm trying to find a better way and maybe you have a better way to say this but i just want to ask how you're doing and i feel like it's kind of a loaded question during these times but i also genuinely care about how you're doing Oh, that's good. Yeah, I I'm doing really well. I've been meditating a lot more and focused on my inner work right now. So I'm doing really well, surprisingly. That's great. Yeah, I'm just really, for lack of better words, blessed right now because everything is actually working pretty well for me, which is weird. That is no, that's great to hear because a lot, like I said, it's a loaded question, and a lot of times when I ask that, you get you get a a sad response. And, you know, I, I want to hear positivity. And that's one of the reasons that honestly, that I wanted to talk to you is because so that will back it up. I, I first came in contact with you, I applied to the Lady Laughs Festival, Madison, Wisconsin, I think it was three years ago. And bless your heart, you accepted me, my girlfriend and I got on a plane and went to Madison, Wisconsin, and what was probably not the worst part of your winter, but we're coming from New Orleans. So we were like, this is freezing. <laughs> but I really, I I just love the festival. I loved everyone that you brought to the festival. I love, and I want to talk about specifically that queer bar that we were performing in. Mm-hmm. But you just, you radiate positivity. And since that festival, I've 
obviously, you know, I won't say stalked, but I, I keep a close eye on your social media because you just you're always so happy and positive and looking forward to the good things. And um, I recently did a show that you were producing a Zoom stand up show and that kind of reconnected us. So I was happy to to have this time to sit with you. But I also I need positivity in my life. And <laughs> so I, I wanted to talk with you. I love that. Yes. I mean, I so this is the thing. And I love the thunder. I'm so excited to hear the thunder. <laughs> See, you're, you're happy for the thunder. I'm like, I was supposed to go to a barbecue in an hour and a half. And now, you know, but but they have a covered porch. So we'll still enjoy the barbecue. And and you're probably like, no, it's beautiful. And this is nature, you know, taking care of herself. Honestly, though, I will tell you, I'm undercover pessimist. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I've realized over the last few years how pessimistic I really am, how I don't expect good things to really happen. But I try so hard to align myself with positivity and be positive. And one of the things about the festival that I love is I know a lot of people, you know, get annoyed with things and anything that anyone does is never going to be 100% accepted and loved. But what I love about it is that it brings women from all different backgrounds together in a space where we don't have to contend with toxic masculinity. And I love the way that everyone just connects. Like I, I see these pockets of, of women who've never met each other connecting during this festival and then or anything we do and then after they're all connecting and doing things together all around the country i've seen people that are like hey i'm coming to denver and somebody from denver that was at the festival is like hey let's do something together you know i've actually gotten a few shows through people i met at the festival so i definitely love that that the connecting that we have because a lot of people see the comedy community as competition and mm-hmm. I don't necessarily see it that way. Yeah. And that is another thing. Like I, the first festival I was considering, we were trying to do like a best of the festival. The, the audience were going to vote for people. And then I just, in the middle of it, I was like, this feels gross. This doesn't feel like what I'm about. And so the main focus is not to compete against each other. The main focus is to empower each other and be a part of this space that we do where every time we go out to perform we have to contend with all of the like as a trans person you know some transphobic comic that's on a show that I'm doing or you know what I mean like there's every time you do something there's a little hidden contention with some of the comics that's not to say all of them I've had an amazing experience in in comedy but there are those moments where you're like well shit (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah oh absolutely the worst for me is when I'm waiting to go up and the person before me says some homophobic transphobic racist fucked up just generally fucked up shit and then I have to go up and follow that yes especially especially when I'm trans and I'm the next comic and you say something transphobic I'm like, well, we're going to get along well, you know, like this. is great. <laughs> Do you address it directly? Because I had when I first started, obviously, when you first start and you're new, I would just completely panic and it would just fuck up my whole set. But I would I wouldn't be able to get it out of my head. As I got to be a more confident performer on stage, I would spend half of my set just roasting that person. I, I tend not to roast. But what I will do is make some off the cuff comment, mostly like maybe you and I should get together for coffee or, you know, like kind of flirting and just make them uncomfortable because they just made me uncomfortable. So why not make it, you know, turn the tables. It's rare that that happens anymore. I tend to be in spaces where I'm so welcome. But when I started, like, I think there were like three trans comics in the whole country. And now there are quite a few trans and non-binary people that are comics now. And it's just it's awesome, but I'm also like, why? <laughs> I've had people say to me like, oh, you, you're another lesbian comic. Like, there's so many of you. And I'm just like, good for us, you know? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I'm like, yay, trans comics. Oh, they're funnier than me. Mah, mah, mah. <laughs> Do you get in your head about, because I, I go through stages too of like comedy jealousy, I guess I'll call it. 
I think every lesbian has a haircut joke. I just do. I haven't been proven wrong yet. Um, I have a haircut joke. It was one of my first jokes. I still tell it because it does well, but I don't know if it does well because people are comfortable with they've heard lesbian haircut jokes before or you know if it if the joke is actually like that good the thing is we're not doing comedy in a vacuum right Mm -hmm. all of us are going to have a joke that's similar to someone else's whether you're cis straight heteronormative whatever we're all going to have something that's similar and it's just part of the game and then if somebody's doing a joke that you're like oh that's pretty much my joke like christine levine She's an amazing comic out of Tucson. She was on Portlandia. She was talking about how, like, because I'm getting older, I'm fat, and and my neck is doing weird things, right? So she feels the same way, and she said something about neck pussy. And I was like, oh, my God, I have a joke about that. (laughs) (laughs) I ran it by her. She ran hers by me. It's neither one of them are exactly the same, but they're close. And they're different enough that it's our perspective. And I think people get too in their head about, oh, you're stealing jokes. You know, not always are we stealing jokes. We're just doing material that is comparable because our experiences in certain areas are comparable. So, yeah, we're all going to have a lesbian haircut joke or you all joke or, you know, or trans people are going to have a genital joke. You know, it's just kind of part of our experience. So part of what you're doing in stand up is connecting your, your personal experience to an audience and to other people that you know, you want that experience to be relatable. 100%. And that's like when I started doing stand up, everybody was like, you know, if you just talk a little bit higher and never mention trans, nobody will ever know. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. But I feel like it's part of my duty to talk about this and be open with it and it's actually because of that i'm a lot more comfortable with myself than than i think i would have been you know if i was if i was hiding and talking about you know just doing comedy from a space of disingenuity that's not even a word but (laughs) it sounded good thanks yeah there are some people that don't want to talk about it and it protects them and it's safer and that's awesome but there are some spaces where where when I talk about being trans and part of the trans experience, which, you know, the bulk of my material is mostly about being fat and dating, you know, not necessarily being trans. But including that was very important to me because I wanted people to know that I'm trans, but I hate my inner thighs. You know, I'm trans, but I date trashy men, you know, like I, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, people aren't so different, no matter who they are, what their situation is, or what they're going through, because it's the the relatable comedy. Yeah. And I started in in Los Angeles. And like I said, before, there was so much trans visibility, like now there are so many like there's trans actors that are really famous, like everybody knows them. You know, I started in Los Angeles before we were really open and out there. And so I feel like part of what I did was open the door in spaces for comics to come in and just be themselves. And like now there's like the hugest queer and trans inclusive circle, comedy circles in Los Angeles now. And I'm like, I think I had something to do with that. It's all my fault. Any stage, perf- any stage performer that puts themselves out there and you know has audiences be you know, like you were, you were out there first, and so you're saying this is okay. Look at me being out here and doing my thing and doing well at it, and that lets other people know, hey, this is a space that I can also be a part of. Yeah, and, and like I'm not, I wasn't the only one. Like there, Riley Silverman at that time was considering themselves a crossdresser now they're trans you know they or well, they've always been trans but they went through you know transitioning and everything so they identify as trans and so they're they were on the scene when i was coming up to and and uh, ian harvey trans man was you know had been around for a while but there were very few trans women comics that i saw in the la scene in 2000 Eight, 2009 when I started and I felt like it was just really awesome and the thing that I found really really interesting like performing at the comedy store in Hollywood most of those audience members are 
cis and heteronormative, right? So they come into this big room and there's like a hundred million comics on the stage, you know, going through the night and it's the longest show ever. But when I would come on, I always felt like the audience got me. They got me. They were like, yes. Okay, we're on board. We like her, you know? That's great. And that's kind of what I've experienced for the most part through the whole country, except for Corpus Christi, Texas, which... (laughs) (laughs) what happened there so it was one of those one-nighters you know the the club was inside of a bar so it was just a room inside of a sports bar called gators and the comic who booked everything who i don't speak to anymore but the comic who booked everything didn't inform them that it was a queer comedy show right so you're in corpus christi texas and in the redneck sports bar called gators it called gators it was hard (laughs) it was difficult it was not fun and there was this like military guy in uniform and his wife was right next to him and he was like laughing and she was like stop laughing everything inside of her was like oh my god i can't believe i'm here this is terrible but her husband was like, hey. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I was like, she stayed too. I mean, that's what I say with comedy all the time. I'm like, if you don't like it, you can you can leave. That's okay. But she stayed and left really quickly when it was over. She was salty the entire time. <laughs> but then there were like people on meth who were there and wanted to talk throughout the whole show. And and it was, so it was a little it was tough. Usually my first line gets a lot of like, ha ha ha, but I got a lot of, oh, what? <laughs> oh, so you're like, all right, buckle in. Right. And we did two shows back to back. So it went both times the audience were about the same kind of people. So it was like, okay, Corpus. <laughs> Dallas loves me. Dallas is my home town where I grew up. And they loved me. Houston loved me. But Corpus. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think if you spent the rest of your comedy career never going back to Corpus Christi, you'll be just fine. I agree. Yes, 100%. <laughs> All right. So you're so you're from Dallas? Yeah, I grew up north of Dallas in a town called called Salina, but that was most of my life. I was in either Salina or Dallas living. So Okay, when did you leave? Cuz I met you in Madison where I we were are you living? Are you in Madison now? I am in Madison now. I pop around. I, I, you know, I've like lived. I've lived in New York City. I've lived in L.A. multiple times. I lived in Indiana, Chicago, Milwaukee. You know, so I pop around. And I left in the very early two thousands. Spent almost a decade in L.A. and then. I've been here since 2012, off and on. Like, I lived in Chicago for a year and a half. I lived in Milwaukee for six months. So I kind of pop around as much as possible. I'm 37 now, and I'm starting to feel like a, like a, I'm always telling the the kids, the 20-year-olds, I'm like, go explore the world while you can. One of the um, comics that is from Mississippi. Furthest she ever moved was New Orleans. Uh, her husband just got a job in D.C. And she was hesitant about moving. And I'm like, you're like 24. Live in D.C. when you're 24. Move it yeah. at 25. Move at 26. And then when you're old, then you'll, you'll settle down and you'll be so happy that you had these experiences. A hundred percent. Yeah, I get that it's scary to, to leave because you're like, this is all I know. At least in New Orleans, like she was still, you know, an hour from her family so she could get back. To Mississippi if anything happened it's scary to step away but I bet it's I mean it's going to change your life yeah and I was like I'm trying to get away from my family <laughs> <laughs> let me get as far away as I can <laughs> and then the funny thing is now I drive down at least once or twice a year spend a week or two with my family and then come back so but I also like as a queer person who grew up in a very fundamentalist evangelical r- spiritual path I had to get away to know who I was. Like, it was kind of one of those things where I went to Los Angeles, people were holding hands on the street, and I was like, yes, I can be gay. And then I was like, oh, hey, I can be a woman. (laughs) You know, it was just kind of, it was my way of giving myself space to be who I am. And I'm much older than you are. And I'm happy that I was able to live somewhere, learn more about myself, without my family's influence you know yeah 
Can I ask how old you were when you left uh, your hometown? I was old. Er, I went. I left and came back a lot. Oh, I'm. I'm not gonna say how old I am, but you know. Yeah, you don't have to. I have a neck pussy, so um, <laughs> that's how old I am. <laughs> neck pussy old. I do love that neck pussy. It's just. I know. It's funny. I, yeah, Christine Levine actually coined the phrase neck pussy, but like I was like everything else. I was like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Finger my neck pussy, please. Like anybody. <laughs> you lived in L.A. before you decided to do to, or to try stand up. So you were in L.A. for years before you decided to do stand up. What brought you to L.A.? Uh, so I am also an actor, writer. At the time I was singing doing music so i moved to la for more opportunity plus i was ready to get out of texas like texas was just not the right place for me at the right time so i moved out to los angeles and i was there for several years and in the process i was like i'm trans so i must be a showgirl that's all i have that's the only option i had at the time you know because back then like you were either showgirl a sex worker or showgirl and a sex worker or you were super stealth and, you know, thank God everything's a lot more open. And so I had done drag for a year and a half. I came out when I was younger and left the church and then went back to the church. So in and out of Christianity. But when I was at, when I moved to Los Angeles, it, I, I, became, I started doing being a drag queen slash showgirl. And then I was like, this just doesn't feel right. And being gay didn't quite feel right. And so I was like, what is missing? And when I transitioned, I was like, okay, I'm a woman. That that part's cool. I got that on. And then I was like, but shit, being a showgirl, like, I don't want to wear high heels and duct tape my body. And I'm not good at lip syncing. Like, I'm <laughs> terrible. <laughs> you know, I'm. Sometimes my costumes were very low, low budget. And so I was like, I just don't love this like I did when I first started doing it. And and then one of my friends was like, hey, you should do stand up. And I was like, I'm situationally funny. <laughs> and then a bunch of us say that. I've heard that story so many times. But I was like, OK, well, I will host your set, your the show that you're doing and and I'll do a small set. And he's like, okay, you've got five minutes. I did three. Um, and <laughs> yeah. It felt like forever, but I also was like, this is amazing. Yeah, you got the bug right away. Yeah. And so I started to pursue it, you know, and I wrote a bigger set and I took some classes and I went to open mics a million times. And and the next thing I know, I'm a, I'm a stand-up comic, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It just gave me more space to be me than being a showgirl did. Yeah, I understand that because there's power with the microphone. Yeah. And even emceeing as a showgirl didn't give me the right zing in my soul. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hosting, the thing with hosting, and it's my personal opinion, is that to be a good host, like your job is to keep the temperature of the room a certain way. So I think you are more withholding with what you can do because you don't want your stand up as a host to be too good and you don't want it to be too divisive or, or, you know, anything like that. So as a host, you're trying to keep this energy up. You don't want to, you know, you want to be happy and energetic and be like, yeah, let's look forward to the next performer. And when you're just doing your set, you don't have to worry about all that shit. I agree with that. I'm, like, I love being better than most of the performers <laughs> you know i mean that is not but i will hype the hell out of the next performer that you know and that's as a host and that's why i teach stand-up too and and when we are in our hosting class i'm like your job is to empower and prepare the audience for your next performer do a set do a joke in between but whether you think the next performer is great or not your job is to sell them like they are the best comic ever you know yeah 100 percent. i love hosting i think it's a fun and i like i love hyping people up but i feel like i don't really get into my stand-up zone in the same way yeah i agree one of the things though is that being a host and being a good host can afford you a lot more financial opportunities than just being a comic if that makes sense across the board people are looking for good mcs good hosts and they'll pay for a good host 
where sometimes they won't have a budget. They'll be like, okay, you're a great host. Let's let's give you money. And I know so many comics that are like, I don't want to host. I don't want to host. I don't want to host. And I'm like, I'll do it. I love to host. <laughs> yeah, that's what um, Drew Carey actually, I was listening to a podcast with him and he said that he got his start. He was in Cleveland, of course, where he's from. And he got his start because no one wanted to host. So he said he would host. And then all of a sudden he's hosting multiple shows a week and he's getting out there and so you know uh bookers saw him yeah and usually they're getting paid even if the comments aren't yeah because i mean a lot of us work for free or for a couple of beers or you know a split tip jar situation yeah (laughs) it's true we spend a lot more money doing comedy than we earn usually (laughs) oh a hundred percent since the the quarantine I was like, wow, I have more money. And it's because I'm not out five nights a week, either buying my dinners or drinks or Ubers or whatever it is. I was like, this comedy was expensive. Yeah, it is. And there's little value on comedians for some reason, but everybody loves comedians and everybody wants to be a comic. But there's not a lot of value monetarily for I always say that stand-up is a blue-collar art form. I like that. It's the first time I've heard that, but that that makes sense because I feel feel like with stand-up, yeah, once you're in the big leagues, like once you're doing HBO specials and, you know, stadiums, then you're making the money. But most of us are not. Even the people that are touring, there's a lot of touring comics that are just making it, even though they're fairly Mm well-known. Yeah. I love touring. I love being on the road, but I love teaching and... I love producing. And right now in the pandemic, I enjoy producing extra AF comedy. You know, I enjoy producing because I'm in the back listening, enjoying and watching and then running everything on the on the back end. And that's fun for me. And then as far as teaching, I love seeing my students really start to get it and do it and perform. And especially during this pandemic, the ones that are still performing are killing it. My friend, and and she was one of my students, Lalita D, she's now in the Bay Area, and she's on shows all the time with people that I've performed with in LA years ago, you know, and, and it's just really cool to watch. When I teach, I feel like I'm impacting further. And when I moved to Madison, there were very few, very few women comics, and there were fewer queer comics. And since I moved here, I feel like I've created or helped to create a space where women are able to perform more and queer people can get on stage. And yeah, not every place is going to be safe, but there's also this new acceptance of women and queer comics in the Midwest. Oh, for sure. And I feel like the more that we're performing and the more that shows are produced and they're not just at, in queer spaces or female-centric spaces, that they're in spaces for everybody, that everybody will have that I want to find a better word than exposure. Visibility. Visibility. There we go. And and there's more value. I one of the th- I I never expected to be in the middle of the country again. Like I <laughs> I I was trying to get out of a small town in Texas, moved to Dallas. I you know spent most of my formative years in Dallas, and then in Los Angeles and New York City, and and then all of a sudden I'm back in a third, fourth tier city that is very midwestern and i moved here and i was like i'm either gonna get murdered or married you know like it's one (laughs) of the two and neither happened (laughs) (laughs) i moved here and i started doing comedy and then within three or four years they voted me their favorite comic in their in our weekly and i was like what that's great yeah i've gotten more publicity doing comedy in the middle of the country and being able to sustain my art while working five jobs at one point in time, you know, like, but I've been able to have money to get projects done and or to work on other things. And I feel like I've made a bigger impact than I possibly would have if I was in LA still. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, so I'm originally from Los Angeles. I at 18, I wanted to leave there so badly. I hated the, the materialistic nature of LA. I hated the traffic, all of the things people talk about. I wasn't into that. I was 5'2". I was not skinny. I was not blonde. I was not straight. And I felt like everything that I was told I should be, I wasn't. And I just wanted 
out and I left and then I started doing comedy years later and then everyone's like you kind of you have to be in LA or New York or Chicago to do comedy but I do comedy in New Orleans we don't have a comedy club here we perform in bars and backyards and wherever and I like the gorilla style of it I like that the people that come to see us genuinely want to see comics even though they've never heard of any of us yeah and you can still grind and hustle but you get more out of your grind and hustle than you would in los angeles yeah if that makes sense i work my ass off i work really hard and i can work just as hard in los angeles and get very little acknowledgement or visibility but here in the middle of the country i'm forging a space that never existed and my hustle pays off more in lots of different ways. Yeah, 100%. I mean, getting a festival going in Los Angeles versus Madison, I think. Yeah, it's hard to work with venues, period. But in Los Angeles, it's harder to figure out where. And especially since most of those venues you have to pay for. I mean, it's definitely harder to do. And Lady Laughs, like, I just started doing it. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. But I've definitely seen the impact. And it's amazing. I love it. Okay, what's the name of the, the gay bar that we were performing at? Plan B. Plan B. I loved that space. Me too. It's no longer in existence. What? Um, yeah, it closed oh. about a year ago. Ugh, don't tell me that. But I have some really great venues that over the years of doing this consistently showing up and producing shows and I'm getting bigger venues a lot easier and we're filling them. Maybe not, you know, jam packed, but we're filling them. And even with the festival, like, you know, some of the rooms are a little bit lower attended, but that's any place you go, any festival you do. I do Chicago Women's Funny Festival almost every year, and I love it. And it's in one space, which is a theater space. And you can go into one of the main theaters and it'll be packed. And then you can go into your theater that you're performing in and there'll be like 10 or 15 people. But the thing is, we're there, we're showing up and we're doing it. And whether you're performing to a room of three people, I did a whole one hour, one woman show in front of two people once, you know, you show up and you perform. That's what you do, whether the audience is packed or not. Yeah, because those two people probably appreciated this so much. I mean, they got a private show for them. Yeah, for for $20. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I paid them to come. You know, like, but that is what we do. And whether whether people pay 20 bucks to, to sit in and there are only two people, they pay that 20 bucks to come see an art form. And that's what, as performers, you can't value a bigger room over a smaller room when it comes down to it. Like, yes, I want the room to be full. Like performing on LA Pride stage. That was amazing, right? Mm -hmm. It was so incredible. But I have more fun performing to a hundred people in a smaller theater than, I mean, I had a blast on the LA Pride stage, but the audience were like, we're here for dance music. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's a different vibe. It is a different vibe, but I love performing for big crowds, but I love performing for small crowds too. But as a producer, obviously you want butts in the seat. And as a, as a comic, you want butts in the seat because they react differently. But hey, do your art, whether it's two or 2000. Yeah. And that's what I mean, with the online shows, one of the things I think is great about the online shows is I have no idea how many people are listening. And so yeah. I treat it like I'm performing to a million people, even if there's two people in there, even if there's 100. I mean, it's changed the way that we perform because we're not getting that instant gratification and feedback that we're used to. But I think it's some good presented some challenges that I'm really trying to rise above and when this is all when we're able to perform on stages with microphones in front of people not six feet apart from each other you'll be a better comic because of it that's what i'm hoping <laughs> going through all this shit i'm like i better be like a better person a better comic a better friend a better partner something good needs to come out of all of this i mean this is the thing if you persevere during the hardest of times performing for very little feedback when you get on stage, that feedback is going to just empower you and feed your your performance more. It's just the way it is, and it's going to be incredible. Because one, you've missed it. Two, you've honed your skills. And three, you're... I don't know what my third point is, but... <laughs> I like the first two. Let's <laughs> <laughs> stick with one and two. Yeah. It doesn't need a third one. <laughs> right? I also 
do public speaking for a living, so yeah. <laughs> but maybe that was the, the comedy. It was like the one, two, and then we're expecting the three, but she flipped it upside down because the three isn't there. <laughs> we expected a third one. Ah! Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> so I'm going to ask because I'm always fascinated by folks that grew up in religious backgrounds. And um, you said that you kind of went back and forth from the church. Uh, mm -hmm. What religion did you grow up with? And was there any discussion of queerness? Was that something that nobody discussed? Or was that something that was very clearly a, a discussed and a no-no or whatever it was? It was very clearly discussed and it was definitely a no-no. So I grew up in Baptist, Southern Baptist Church and Pentecostal slash charismatic. So super fundamentalist, super performative, super, they don't like us. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard, I've heard, yeah. I've heard they're not interested in, in us. What is charismatic? Is that? So Pentecostal, do you know what Pentecostal is? Yes. It's the speaking in tongues, dancing, rolling around, raising your hands, you know, all that flim flam, yes ma'am, whatever kind of stuff. Charismatic is, so there are so many different branches. There are Pentecostal people who are like, you can't say Father, Son, Holy Spirit because that's worshiping three gods. It, they're all one. The name of God and the Holy Spirit is Jesus. And I'm like, but then they also say the Holy Spirit, you know, like it's it's just so the triune Godhead is very problematic for a lot of people. But so in some Pentecostal, they're like, it's Jesus is the name. It's God, you know, just expressions of the same person, your different personalities, whatever. And then they're like, we believe that God is this part, Jesus does this, and then the Holy Spirit does this. And then there are people that are like, uh, you can't wear makeup. If you're a woman, you can't cut your hair. And then there are other ones where, so charismatic is more like, yes, we believe in the quote unquote gifts of the spirit, praying in tongues, you know, dancing, prophecy, all that stuff. But we're going to wear makeup and we're going to allow women to preach and we're going to, you know what I mean? All the, so it's a little more progressive form of, of a Pentecostal leg. Okay. So it's on the liberal spectrum of the Pentecostal liberal for Pentecostal. So kind of this comparable. And then there's God, then there's the third wave, which is the Jesus freaks, the hippie Christians, which is kind of what the majority of Christian churches have kind of become when they have their contemporary service. It's a little more in alignment with the third way, which is like Vineyard Christian Fellowship, the Bible churches and stuff like that. And I am Chris Christo pagan now. So <laughs> a heretic, essentially. That's how they would see it. Because you said that you went back and forth to the church. Do you remember when you first stepped away from the church and, and what that experience was? For me, I could never reconcile being at the time what I understood as being gay and growing up in the church every Sunday, it seemed like every Sunday they were like, homosexuals are going to hell and don't be homosexual. And I was like, first of all, I don't understand why they talked about homosexuality so much when I think I was probably the only person that was queer in the whole room. It's so weird. But I remember sitting there and being like, oh my God, Jesus hates me. I'm going to die. I'm going to go to hell. Like that fear as a child of going to hell having your skin burn off and then grow again and then burn off again forever is traumatic and scary and not in alignment with christ at all which i i find really interesting and i feel like the majority of modern christian values are not in alignment with christ and so i don't think they're christians if yeah because I, I, I was raised jewish and then there was always things i heard from christian because you, you have the what would jesus do and then i'm like that this is not what Jesus would do. You're doing what you think that the Republican gun-toting Jesus would do, essentially. And I remember having that that realization, even within the confines of the church, you know, even believing that homosexuality is a sin. You know, I remember being like, but Jesus would love those people and bring them in and love them. So being gay and being Christian for me wasn't an option. So when I finally, I came out for like a year and a half and I was like, oh my God, this is fun. But I drank a lot and, but I got in a dress as soon as I could. So obviously I was a woman. And then <laughs> later when I really ended my, my relationship with the church, I was like, I can't be Christian and gay. So fuck y'all. And I really delved into 
alternative spiritual paths, Wicca, paganism, you know, Buddhism, like looking at Hinduism, looking at what I believed. And I found this wonderful place of tradition and ritual that I didn't expect. And and then I was like, oh, so Christians are telling people that witches are sacrificing children and having mass orgies and worshiping Satan. And then all of a sudden I'm seeing this Wicca paganism as this beautiful earth religion where, you know, there's not a there's not a devil, there's not a hell, and everybody's just really cool and accepting and loving. And I was like, this feels better. And then one day I was like, oh, so my Christianity and my paganism can kind of amalgamate and I can have the spiritual path that accepts anything that I want it to. And so I'm very woo-woo. <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, you found, I feel like a lot of people, you know, kind of turn their back on any spirituality or any religion because of terrible experiences uh, or traumatic experiences from childhood, from adulthood. And it's great that you were like, no, this isn't the right path. I'm going to find the right path that works for me so I can still keep this part of myself. Yeah. And it took me a long time to kind of reconcile with Christianity. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay. So there are some Christians that love gay people and allow trans people and are not so it's not an exclusive club. You know, spirituality is supposed to be accessible for every human being. And no matter what path you're on, finding a spiritual path that works for you, if that's what you want, is awesome and beautiful and healing and transformative and grounding and all these, you know, things that I think a lot of people just like, oh, it's a it's just a crutch. Well, yeah, cool. That's what you believe. Cool. Don't do it. Yeah. I'm not going to try to convert you. <laughs> <laughs> all I'm going to do is live my life and be me. Yeah. And that's that's all we can do. And, I, you know, I'll, I'll knock religion a lot. But I do. I was actually talking to my girlfriend last night where I was like, like I, I think a lot of churches are very problematic. I think a lot of religions are problematic. But I do think that there's some good that comes from the community. And especially now in a pandemic, you see, you know, uh, food banks and all these different uh, wonderful things. Uh, a lot of the COVID testing sites here are at churches that are opening their doors for that stuff. So I do see the good in it. I just, when when a religion tells you you can't be who you are, that's where I have the problem. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Because Jesus, God, whatever, if God made us, then he made us perfect, you know, and, and it says in the Bible somewhere, I can't remember, you know, uh, I knew you before I formed you. So if you knew me before you formed me, then you're forming me in your image, because I'm made in your image, then everything that I am is good and perfect and holy. So if I'm trans, and this is the way I explain it all the time, like, especially to religious people, because like my family are like, you're going to hell. That's not what God planned. And I'm like, well, it actually is because if I wouldn't have gone through this journey, I wouldn't have experienced what Christianity talks about, which is an abundant life, a life of, you know, life lived in abundance and not necessarily money, but wholehearted satisfaction, right? This connection with spirit and yourself and all that is and everyone if you're not experiencing that and you're a Christian, then you're not Christian, you know, or you're not a, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but I, once I transitioned and I was like, oh my God, everything's starting to make sense now. I get it. And that abundant life that it talks about in the Bible is like, it's being who you are and being in alignment with yourself and with spirit and whatever. And it's awesome. So I am so grateful for the journey like I'm honored that that I chose to be who I am and when I did my life changed fundamentally for the better and that's that's god <laughs> that's what you know religion should be cuz what I don't what I don't get is so what are people saying that if if you're gay or trans or something that anything that they've decided is unacceptable under the Bible, which they've interpreted and the way they've interpreted it is, yep. are you, am I now supposed to just be in the closet, marry a man, be fruitful and multiply? Like, is that the solution is for me to be miserable to potentially make everyone around me miserable instead of living my life the way I know it's meant to be lived? That's what they think you should do. And I uh, disagree with that 100%. God created you to be someone. If you believe in God, you don't have to. I mean, I'm not trying to force anybody to believe anything. But if you believe in God 
then God put you on this path and made you perfectly. So your journey, whatever good, bad in between comes from it, is part of the plan that the universe, God, your higher self had for you. This got really spiritual. I know it was supposed <laughs> to be I'm also a pastor, so I have a small church called Light of Love Fellowship. So I'm 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 a pastor too. But we're I didn't we're know that. All the things that I love, like spirituality and comedy and genital jokes, you know, let's, <laughs> let's put them all together. No, I I I think this is a, a good way to to wind down the episode because I, I still I think this is positive. What you're saying is that this journey you took this journey and you are at a place where you have reached a higher spiritual awareness where you are happy where you know you're good yeah yeah i and i love myself and i don't think i could have ever loved myself without transitioning and spirituality just lends itself to loving myself more growing up in the church you're just taught how to hate yourself and because everything about you is sinful and everything is wrong if you're queer you know you're you're wrong you're sinful fundamentally wrong broken and that's not truth like i said if you believe in god god created us or we chose to incarnate into this experience for what we could learn and how we could grow and i'm learning and growing and i hope that i'm pushing people to learn and grow too just by existing yeah oh a hundred percent i i know for a fact you are and i i'm so thankful that we've had this opportunity to talk and i learned so much about you i didn't know you you were a pastor i didn't know any of these things so this has been really great for for me for years i have just kind of compartmentalized all the parts of myself and been like i'm a comic over here i'm a pastor over here i'm this over here i'm a, you know and this pandemic has pushed me to kind of unify all the parts of myself as much as possible and it's great yeah <laughs> no you sound great like i said i knew you'd bring some positive vibes if you can let folks know where they can find you on social media if you just want to let folks know how to connect with you what's coming next there's so many things. So you can follow me personally at Dina Nina Martinez on pretty much anything except for Twitter, which is Dina and Martinez. Lady Laughs Comedy on Instagram and Facebook. DinaNinaMartinez.com. LadyLaughsComedy.com. We have uh, the 2025th year celebration of of funny women, the the 2020 festival, International Lady Laughs Comedy Festival that's going virtual and you can go to Lady Last Comedy and sign up for a membership so that you can get access to the live shows. And it's eight days of shows. And the headliner is Ida Rodriguez, who was on Tiffany Haddish Presents They Ready on Netflix. It's it's going to be an incredible eight days for one week and for the next week. And we do Extra AF Comedy, which is Extra AF Comedy on Instagram and Facebook. And we do every two weeks we do a live show. And then I am, there's so many things. I'm sorry. This is going to take a million years. Oh, no, it's okay. Every Sunday night, my best friend and I, who started a podcast in 2009, we do a live broadcast every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Central at Dina and Greg show, or you can look up DNG live. And then what else? Jeez. Yeah. I think that's. Like, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of commitments. <laughs> I know, right? Lady Business Podcast. And you can find that at ladylaughscomedy.com. But Lady Business Podcast is a is a production of Doyen, which is a women's entrepreneur group, and Lady Laughs Comedy. And we talk to women entrepreneurs and women who are badass in business. And that's on all the places you can consume your favorite podcast. So. Great. Well, there's a million ways to connect with you. So definitely there are. check that out. And thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Tender here is on point. You know, like, it's so awesome. Uh, I think the worst part about being a heterosexual woman and dating in Chicago, though, is having a dick. <laughs> Fuck my life. <laughs> I'm transgender. 
totally different reaction than my family had. Thank you. Uh, I don't know if you guys have looked up the definition of transgender on dictionary.com. But the definition is someone who will never be able to wear jackets. Like, camel toe, you know? Like, and I also have a fupa. Do you guys know what fupa is? That upper pussy area. Which means that I will, even after the surgery, I'm gonna have like moose knuckle. Like it's just, you know. I feel like I should wear a button that says, ask me about my fupa. <laughs> it's a soft pillow. <laughs> it's a very furry soft pillow. <laughs> See, you know, like, oh my god, don't get too close to the edge, you'll bounce right off. You know? All my pants have warning signs in them. It's so stupid, right? Uh, I have been dating a lot, you guys. I have weird taste in men, though. Like, I, I, one of my newer kind of things that have popped up is like, I like a guy with a really big beard. You know, someone who wears, you know, flannel. Someone who looks like they're a lumberjack, right? Yes. Like they're throwing logs all day for a living, right? But with really soft hands, so they're throwing lattes, you know? Slinging lattes for a living, right? Someone who you know they use lotion on their hands. Not just their penis. I don't know. <laughs> so what I'm saying is I'm dating a lot of millennials, you guys. <laughs> millennials are great too. Like getting these guys in the sack, they're really awesome. Like they really care about what they're doing down there. And I'm like, like this guy was like, hey babe, do you like that? Is this so good? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> what you're doing. <laughs> well, babe, what do you like in bed? Well, I like if your face is in my crotch. <laughs> and I like if you can change the cover on my face, on my phone, like, just replace that while I'm in bed. Yeah. And then I like it when you stick my t your tongue in my ass, you know. Like. <laughs> And if you could just tell me what the purpose of a fidget spinner is, like that would be, that would be like coming for me. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know what I want. I don't know what a fidget spinner is. Why? What is the fucking point? It just spins, right? Like I can spin. considerably younger than me. I know I look good for my age. I'm 853, that half of the devil did it, you know? Like, so uh, I was dating this guy, he, uh, he was really hot, you guys. Like, he had a man bun, a googly eye, and one thumb. I was totally like, oh yeah, you're damaged, I'm in, you know? Yeah. He also had a really huge addiction problem. <laughs> right? <laughs> Whatever. I can play mommy for a couple of nights, you know? <laughs> I'm glad you like that. So. <laughs> Have you posted that on Craigslist before? <laughs> no, I'm not buying it. Um, <laughs> I also have really poor taste in men too. Like, I, I went to, I was at this place that I go to sometimes that gives me money, a job. <laughs> and this guy walked in and he's like, hey baby, what's your tattoo say? I was like, well, it says I'm a strong woman in French. And he goes, I can see that. <laughs> I 
And everything inside of me was like, <laughs> But all I could muster up was, <laughs> So essentially what I'm saying is if you're wearing an affliction shirt and have an embroidered pocket, I can smell you a mile away. Like, <laughs> do Shereen, yay. Texas originally. Thank you, thank you. Uh, the good part. <laughs> um, so I grew up in small town Texas and uh, I went home for the holidays a couple of years ago and my cousin, she was like, oh my god, you're so pretty. But you know, even after the surgery, you're not going to be a real woman. I know, thank you. There was one pass that was appropriate. <laughs> And I was like, that's so fucking stupid and horrible, you know? And then she continued and she said, she goes, God gave me a vagina as a responsibility. <laughs> like an overgrown yard. <laughs> like an elderly grandparent, no? Like, is it like Farmville, your crops are ready, you know? like. <laughs> and I was like, I think that's interesting that you say God gave you a vagina as a responsibility because you're using it more like an AK-47, you know, like, just shooting those kids, like, like, you're supposed to have children, not litters, I don't, like, and they got a new house, you guys, they got a house. It was on sale. <laughs> it was a double wide. But it wasn't just a double wide, it was like two different trailers that they had pushed together. <laughs> like the walls didn't line up. One side had shack, the other side had Berber, you know? Like, it was like a white trash maze is what I'm saying. <laughs> Kids running around, oh my god, I see you, I see you, I see you pee. <laughs> Which was the very last thing I wanted to explain uh, first in Christmas morning. <laughs> uh, so dumb. Uh, I moved to the Midwest from Los Angeles about five years ago. <laughs> for my career. <laughs> uh, and I love the Midwest, you guys. I lived in Wisconsin for a while. Wisconsin's pretty awesome. Um, cheer, cheese, beer, brats, and boys. I was like, that's everything I wanted. <laughs> uh, I feel like there should be a sign at the, um, at the uh, state line that says, Abandon Hope, all ye you enter. I'm never wearing the same size you came in as. <laughs> screw that. Uh, so I'm gonna end with this. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about myself that's pretty deep and pretty intense. Um, I am a woman who really enjoys giving fellatio. <laughs> Teresa fed the homeless. 
<laughs> In all fairness, most of it is charity. <laughs> but my favorite is, baby, you suck that dick. Like, Oprah inspires the nation. <laughs> you get a blowjob and you get a blowjob. Thank you to Dina Nina Martinez for sharing her world with us. Special thank you to Jessa Fallon and Ryan Golub for your help editing and producing the podcast. Find us on social media. We would love to hear from you. Instagram, Facebook, we're at Near and Queer to My Heart. Twitter, we're at Queer to My Heart. Or if you're old school, shoot us an email, nearandqueertomyheart at gmail.com. We might even read it on the air. We love to hear from our fans. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thank y'all! Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.